shame thinking that you're going to get the equivalent of an app that will tell you how to pass in Shilas, you're here under misrepresentation. Uh, I'm not quite sure what the purpose of all this is. I'm not going to tell you anything novel, and I'm not going to present any real chidushim, maybe a few minor ones, but nothing that's a chidush in terms of uh, methodology of Psach Uh All I think that I'm doing is categorizing that which is already known to everybody or should be known to everybody and simply putting it into uh, some pre more precise language. It's almost a truism to say that Psach is both a science and an art. To the extent that it's a science, I suppose it can be taught. You're supposed to be able to teach science. To the extent that it's an art, I don't know how you teach art. You can't teach art. Either you have a talent or you don't have a talent. People who have a talent can be trained in how to apply the talent. So let me first begin my uh, little spiel that I've just made up. Uh, categorization of different modes of psak. I think that Psakaloche can be divided into five different categories. And I made up names for them. I'm not stuck to the nomenclature. And undoubtedly you will come up with more apt names for the same thing. But let me give you what I've done at least tentatively. Number one, there is substantive Psak. That's the real Psakaloche which has, I think, three subcategories. I'll come back to that a little bit later. Then there is the educative psakaloche, uh, and if that word sounds strange, it's because I didn't bother looking it up in the dictionary. I don't know if there is such a word in the dictionary, but it's the uh, adjective that I had constructed from the verb to adjudicate. And to adjudicate is basically to decide between conflicting claims. In this case, or in the sense that I'm using it, it's different claims to what the halacha really is. And that's probably, uh, and not probably, it's certainly what 98 or more percent of psak halacha is all about. It's adjudicating between different opinions in one form or another. And then, I'll come to it probably at the very end, it's what I call prophylactic halacha, which is uh, punting, uh, not paskening in the first place, and that's an art in of itself. Avoiding the psak halacha is one form of psak halacha. Now, let me go back and try to talk about each of these categories uh, individually. Number one, the notion of a substantive uh, psak halacha, real psak halacha, which in its pristine form is deductive in nature. You are deducing the halacha from the given sources. It's what we call la sukushmaitese for which you have to have all the shas and poiskim, at which point, if you have a shayla, then you've got your computer which we call the human brain and it's already been loaded with all the information and you go through whatever the thought processes are in order to find the answer to the specific question. 
Obviously, this kind of psakalocha is only for a Talmud shehigia lehiroi. If you're not a Talmud shehigia lehiroi, I don't know how in the world you could pretend to do substantive psakalocha. And that means, uh, for starters, that you have to be a boki in shas and paiskin. Once you have all of that, then what happens is what the seichel is mechayet. You have the premises, which is the corpus of the halakhic material. You bring the human intellect to bear, and you get a conclusion. And different people will get to different conclusions. And that's why you have a principle of Elu Elu Divri Elikim Chaim. The person who is doing engaged in that kind of process is infallible. Papal infallibility did not come in some other alien faith. It's rabbinic infallibility and it's not limited to individuals. It's limited to a, to a class, obviously, but it's people who have license to engage in substantive psakaloha, in which case their determinations cannot be wrong by definition. And I'm really not going to go off on a tangent and talk about why Elu Velu Divrulikim Chaim, either the haloch is one way or the haloch is the other way, and the answer is that's just not true. Uh, it's, you know, the old story of the Rov who has a deterioration and the first Baldin presents his case and the Rov incorrectly tells him you're right, and then the other presents his case and he incorrectly tells him you're also right. And finally, the Rebbitson, who's been eavesdropping, comes in and says, but how can they both be right at the same time? And he tells her, you're right, too. The answer, but in, in Eil of Eil of Divr Likim Chaim, that's what the Rebbe Shalom wanted, and that's part of the Hashkoch El He gave a corpus of halacha which is intentionally ambiguous, and man is actively involved in the perfection of the Bria, which we won't talk about right now, look at the Beis HaLevi in his parish on Chumash, and the man is actively involved in the halachic process. As long as he conducts himself within the parameters of that process, the conclusion to which he reaches, if he reaches those conclusions on the basis of Mila scheme, and he does it with intellectual honesty, applying the canons of Psakaloche, he can't possibly be wrong, even if there is room for disagreement. So in that sense, uh, this kind of subjective, uh, sorry, this kind of deductive Psakaloche, a form of substantive Psakaloche is scientific, but it's clearly an art because it involves uh, applying the human intellect. Now, what I've said, I put the cart before the horse. I said I wasn't going to say Chidushim, but what I should do, I suppose, is start with the Kasha and then give you the Teretz. I gave you the Teretz before the Kasha. But let me pretend that this is a Yeshiva, that I'm a Rosh Yeshiva, and I'm saying Yeshir, so I'll ask the Kasha. There is a statement attributed to the Ravush, it's in print, uh, he was opposed to the publication, the dissemination, I should say, of the Shulchan Aruch of Pervasive Karu. There were uh, objectors to the uh, dissemination of the Rambam's Mishnah Torah. 
in the case of the Rambam's Mishnah Torah, there were two kinds of objections. There was the Rabbit who didn't like the Psokim of the Rambam. And then there were a lot of other people who were afraid that the Rambam would be successful. Nobody's probably ever told you the secret, but the Rambam was an abject failure. Don't tell anybody. He failed miserably at what he set out to do, but he was wildly successful in what he never set out to do. He was wildly successful in providing grist for Shurim of Rashi Yeshiva. He was wildly successful in Lahaidul Teir Lahadiro, in enabling Reb Chaim and others to analyze categories of Aloha that wouldn't have occurred to them to analyze without the Rambam. But what he thought was that all you need is a Chumish and a Mishnah Torah, and you don't need anything else. You know, all of Torah, just by looking at the Mishnah Torah. Nobody, unless you're one of the Rambamians in Yemen, nobody uses the Mishnah Torah as a kind of Kitzer Shulchan Aruch. In that, he did not succeed. Fortunately, I would add, and the opponents were an opposition precisely because they didn't want him to see succeed in that. And later when the Shulchan Aruch appeared, sure there was the Ramah who disagreed with the Mechaber and others who disagreed with the Mechaber. But people like the Levush disagreed because they didn't want this to happen at all. They didn't want uh, a little Kitzur of Piske Dinim and he made what sounds like a very, very strange statement. He said he would prefer the Meirahirua to Paskin on the basis of Shas, Gemara, Rishonim, and get the Psak wrong, rather than go to the Shulchan Aruch and get the Psak right. Now, uh, when I saw that for the first time, I was astounded. You know, what do you mean? He wants people to have the Psak that's wrong, uh, that's uh, that's just uh, unconscionable. I would have possibly be. So I'll tell you my little chiddush. Whether I'm right or wrong, I don't think it's terribly relevant. But the uh, the what can be extrapolated from that, I think, is absolutely correct. And the fact I haven't seen it in writing any place, I don't think, makes very much difference. It seems to me that the concept of elu elu diverlikim chayim is limited to this kind of substantive psakalochid. When somebody knows Kola he takes his seichel and he puts aside any possible biases that he might have, which incidentally is not an easy job by any means, and reaches a conclusion that was a conclusion that was determined by the Shkoch Elieno and Koma This is what the Rabbanishlam wanted him to do and to say and to Paskin. And if somebody says the opposite, so be it. That's when he is applying uh, what he is supposed to be applying, namely his intellect, to the entire corpus of halacha. There it's elu ve'elu divrili kimchayim. However, when you don't do that, instead you do something else, you take out a little kitzah shulchan or what have you, and you suddenly are madame milsa the milsa, and you think you found the answer to the shayla, there's no elu ve'elu divrili kimchayim. Laniyas daiti pshatin levush is really very simple. If you have this Talmid Chacham who's higia lehiroi, 
and he goes back to Shas and Peskim and he gets it wrong because in Lavush's opinion he should have found a different answer he can't be wrong by definition he's right however if he got the wrong answer by going to a Shulchan Aruch then he's responsible for it he would rather that he make the mistake of being Masik the Haloche Shaloiki Hilchase because that's an exercise in Torah and that is legitimate rather than simply looking it up and getting it right. No big deal in looking something up and getting it right. That's not what a place is supposed to do. Unfortunately, uh, that's basically what we are doing. And Levush wasn't happy about it. But Niskatno Hadiris and uh, history, which is just another synonym for the Hashkoch Yena, has made the Shulchan Aruch accepted by Klal Yisrael and it's become part of the Shalshela Samasura. And this is how we go about Paskening Shilas. So let me, that's the first category of psak that I have uh, wanted to establish, what I call substantive psak. And it has to be defined very <coughs> carefully, and I try to define this as carefully as I can. Uh, yes? The terms shas and toskim are quite vague, because you can learn shas yes. on many different levels, and toskim uh, I'm not talking about hearing me. I'm not talking about translation. Be iun and with havana. Otherwise, I'm not quite sure you can make birkas what you don't, for Teru Shabbat, if you don't understand, it's not because of Teru. And what are you supposed to understand to the best of your own intellect? It's part of the, the halachas of Talmud Teru, the Chukaisai, Telechot, etc. If you'll be on Meilim Teru, that's what the mitzvah Talmud Teru you gave. Everybody has his own mitzvah Talmud Teru. Before Kabbalah Teru, this is kind of, you know, the, the drushes you're going to hear shuas. But it's not, a, it's not a, a joke. Everybody has a Chiv of Talmud Torah, Kifi Havanosa, and he's to be a Gayabatera to the best of his understanding. And that's what I meant when I talked about being a Bucking Shasu Poskin. So, so, really, like the same thing? Poskin, not like learning the thousands of Poskin throughout history? Or the whole question learning? is, how, what is Mukhuiv to, to learn, or what don't you have to learn? You have to learn absolutely everything. Now, lifetime isn't long enough to learn absolutely everything. There is a famous shuva of Reb Moshe, which doesn't deal with anything of halach at all, a certain parish on Chumash, which he didn't approve of, uh, and he writes that there's no chiyah to learn every sefer that exists. What svarim are you mechuyah to learn, which you're not mechuyah to learn, I will return to that a little bit later. And if I don't, remind me. Sorry. How does Rebbe feel in terms of, like, it's just this first category with regard to those who specialize in a certain area, issuing a substance? There is no such thing. Uh, I you know that the Musashmusen that were said in the yeshivas of yesteryear, of course, there were, the Gemara tells us, you know, when Amaroyim, he spent 18 months uh, in, in a Meshit farm to become a Boki in Mumin, and then he became a Mumcha, and Rav Nachman is a Boki in, in Zikin. But they uh, they emphasized over and over again that it was only after they became bulky and called Terakula. Then they specialized. If you're not a bulky and called Terakula, specialization is not very impressive. You're going to miss things because any, any you know the 
the Barbie Rap the Khadyema knows that just because something happens to be in Zroim doesn't mean that it's Zroim, you can have Dinya of Tum of the Tarot and Sakh the Brothers. It's Hafeichbo, Hafeichbo. Not because Kulabo of things that are extraneous, but wherever you turn, you're going to find Kolatera Kula in one way or another. It's going to be invoked, it's going to be referenced, it's going to be alluded to, and you have to be aware of it. That's. Obviously, uh, since we have very few people who are balking in Kola so some people try to become Bikim in some small Miktsoya. But that's not the way it's supposed to be done. Let me go back to my next category. Uh, I, I, I'm not sure whether that was a loaded question, but if it was, I, I know if, I, if you mean what I think you mean, then I should amplify it just a little bit. And if you don't have somebody who's a bookie and call a terracula and can answer immediately with regard to everything, but at least a modicum, if you take an individual, and I'm not going to address what I think you're addressing, and you tell me this person is proficient in Hilchus Nida, but that doesn't know anything about Hilchus Brochus because that's not part of the curriculum, I get very, very scared. If you tell me that you have someone who is you know, the, the specialist in, in Maris, because he learned whatever you expect a rov and a basic to learn, and then he spent months and years uh, in Shimush with regard to Maris, I'm impressed. That impresses me. But only if he's otherwise qualified. If you don't mean he's not qualified in any area, except Hilchus Nida or Hilchus X, Y, or Z, I look at you and say, don't be talking about He's not qualified in that either. Okay, let me then go on to the next. Uh, what I called the... Uh, adjudicative uh, uh, form of psak halacha. In terms of adjudicating between conflicting opinions, there are decision-making canons, and those are the axioms of halacha. And if the, uh, the exercise is deciding between different halachas, in determining, of course, Eluv Eluv, differently from Chaim, what's Eluv Eluv, that's very nice, in the transcendental world of truth, of Torah. But Lamaisa, what am I supposed to do? I can't pass my Peshama and Peshila at one at the same time. I have halachic anarchy. There is a, a, a question of deciding Lamaisa, the halacha Lamaisa. The decision-making canons are also part of halacha. And in a very real sense, those are scientific to the extent that at least in theory by the time you get into practice it's not going to work you could have a computer that would do all of this uh, you can load up the computer with the halachas and give them give the computer the rules for the and then present to Shaila and the computer would answer now what are those canons what are the axioms you know them as well as I it's simple Sophic Rice is Lakumra, Sophic Rabon is Lakula, Halochik Divri Hameko Vovel, and Halochik Basroi, etc., etc. Halochik is like the Roiv, and a few more like that. Those are really, they sound very simple. They're not as simple as they sound. There's a famous statement of Rebbe Chon Wasserman, the Zechron Lavrocha. Rebbe Bochanan pointed to the fact that we have two principles of halacha. It's a nimnu v'gomru. Halacha is like Beis against Beis except in a few cases. 
there is also a machloikis, whether you have a nyaf in the mute, that's halacha for rabbi. But what if the roiv are not as bright as the mute? The mute are the mechadadetve, they're a lot brighter than the roiv. So there's a machloikis, whether the halachach is according to the roiv, opposed to the miyut who are mechadadetve, or is halacha according to the mechadadetve? And guess who the Bali Plukt are? Beis Hillel says Halach is like the Roy, Beis Shammai says Halach is like the Machada de Tvei. And happens to Beis Shammai were the Machada de Tvei. Says Rabbi Khanan that it's a Ness, he calls it a Ness. That the Halach is like Beis Shammai, and the Beis Shammai were also the ones who happened to hold that Halach is like the Rabim, because otherwise it would be all Cretans are liars. I am a Cretan, therefore I'm a liar. But if I'm a liar, I'm telling you the truth. That wasn't his muscle. It's exactly the same paradox. Beis Shammai would be still would be saying that Halach is like the Rabim, and that Halach is like the Mechad sorry, and the Mechad turned out to be Bishamai, and Bishamai is saying that Halach are like the Rabim, and Halach is like Basilo, going round and round and wouldn't have a track. He called that a Ness. I wouldn't go so far, but I do call it part of the Hashkoche. We would be otherwise confronted with an irresolvable paradox. The Rabbani Shalom didn't allow that to happen. He gave us certain canons and they work. It's just another way of my saying that these principles, the axioms, canons, call them what you like, these are also mipi hagavuro. That's all part of Torah. And if I may be so bold as to say, these categories of sakaloche are the halachic analog to the Kantian categories which are imposed upon the empirical universe. And I'm not going to enter into what the Kantian categories are, but we look at the universe and we understand it in terms of the categories of reason. We look at halacha and we uh, look at the psak halacha from the vantage point of these categories that we impose upon them, and, you know, impose upon the raw material of halacha. And that's halacha uh, mishmi We do it because it's part of halacha. It could have been different. Uh, and the way in which it is applied or the way in which these canons were formulated, that's also part of the Meseris Halacha, which is another way of saying it's all part of Hashkoche. There are other examples of this. If you take the two memes, Kuntras uh, on Kimli, in which he says, among other things, that nobody can say Kimli Keneged Mechaber and the Ramah. If Mechaber and the Ramah agree on one thing, you can't come with another reason and claim that Hamitz Mechaber all of Haraya, Kimli and Kedivre Harishan, who was rejected by the Mechaber and the Ramah. It doesn't work. Why doesn't it work? What's the difference? Kimli is a did of Mosak. Hamitz Mechaber all of Haraya. Burden of proof is on the plaintiff. And you can't prove it absolutely, because remember, and the Tumim is just another piece of all of this. If Eilu Eilu Divrilikim Chayim, then the reason this agrees with Machaber is just as valid as the Machaber. And why can't I say Kimli? It's just as true as whatever the Machaber said. I mean, that's really what's bothering the Tumim. Just because everybody rejects this reason, if Eilu Eilu is Divrilikim Chayim, why can't
anti-Sikimli, to which I understand the Tumim, the Tumim is saying that there is no Elu Elu with regard to uh, picking and choosing between various play uh, scheme uh, when you're dealing with this kind of adjudication. There is no Elu Elu in terms of adjudication and applying the Psakaloche simply because you have to pick one over the other. Uh, it would be far different if this would be a matter of substantive psak, deductive psak, when you're simply saying kimli das ploini that doesn't work in eluf elu divrali kim chayim. So why not against mechaber ramah? That's the, what I said till now. Is not the tumim. That's leni azdaiti. What he means. But the Tumim says explicitly because Ruach HaKadish was if he ever based Midrash and uh, if, if Kal Yisrael accepted the Mechaber and the Ramah you can go and say Kimli can negate them. All that that means as I understand it is that the Mesiris HaHaloche is also part of Ashkoche and if Kal Yisrael accepted Mechaber and the Ramah that's what the Rabbani Shalom wanted and you can't turn around and say Kimli can negate the Mechaber and the Ramo. But, and again, if you want another such source, take the Hagdomatigus uh, the first volume of Rachaim, where he, you know, it's, 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 it's Moshe was an honored Godel. But you read what he says, he in effect is saying that, you know, he's the Pesik because the Rachaim made him the Pesik, and that's also part of Ashdoche. Uh, he's not. Uh, He's not praising himself, but in effect saying that this is what the Rebbe wanted, and that the you know the people who are praising know that they're praising, etc., etc. Nothing more than saying that the the Maser of Haloche is also part of Hashkoche. Uh, so the real question is then, you know, who is a rabbi? Not who is a Jew, but who is a rabbi? Who is a Pesik and who is not a Pesik? That that's where you uh, need. Uh, the art rather than the science. Somebody has to make a determination with regard to who is to be considered among the uh, panoply of base game so I can apply Sophidarisis, Sophidrabonon, even Roiv, etc., etc. Uh, what an eighth grader tells you uh, in answer to a question on the test which is wrong doesn't mean that you go and take it and put it on the scale together with other post teams and decide. Uh, it, it doesn't quite work that way. The Rav Salafetsch is quoted as saying that the Miri is a mere curiosity. It's been published. Uh, Rabbi Reichman did the world a favor by quoting it in an article that he wrote. And when Rav Soloveitchik said Miri is a mere curiosity, he said it for a reason. I'm not interested in, in the applications right now. The Miri is widely quoted in certain circles with regard to two separate things. I don't want to talk about either one of them. And they're totally, the Miri is totally irrelevant with regard to both of them which is exactly what Rav Soloveitchik meant. He says it's a mere curiosity. Mere curiosity doesn't mean that if I'm saying a shir, I don't put a miri. If I have a chidush and I can point to a miri to substantiate it, I will quote it with simcha and alacrity. But I know very well that if I have to depend only on the miri, and if we can make it other rishonim, I'm on, I'm on, uh, on thin ice. Uh, if, if if it helps, then very good. Of course, the Miri was a region. But Rav Salvation meant that he's not part of the Messiris Absak. 
there is such a thing as a Messiah. The Miri wasn't part of the Messiah. Why he wasn't part of the Messiah is simple and again, it's not for us right now. It's because they're newly found manuscripts. Newly found manuscripts are suspect. You'll go to the Chazanish, the Chazanish will tell you they're suspect because we don't know the provenance of those manuscripts. We don't know if they were tampered with. We don't know whether it was the Miri himself or one of his Talmidim. And the Talmud of the Miri isn't necessarily the Miri. Don't think there weren't a Hreinim, the scoop of the Rishonim, and therefore it's not uh, not reliable. Uh, and in at least one of the two cases, I'm absolutely where the Miri is widely quoted. I am absolutely certain that the Miri is being misquoted because what he says isn't what they think he is saying, and the Miri had received certain information which is not the kind of information they want you to think that he received. And if you want uh, more about that uh, in the Philosophical Quest, you'll find the chapter dealing with the Miri. But uh, what Rav Salafeshik meant, meant to say was really very simple. You know, he's not challenging the veracity of the manuscripts, and this is also part of the The Rishenim, the later Rishenim, and the Akhreni didn't have the Miri, so the Rabbani Shalom saw to it that this shouldn't go onto the scales when you're weighing the Psach and therefore, quote, a mere curiosity. Now, that may be an overstatement, but certainly in terms of the Chlole Hapsak, uh, the Miri isn't going to be Machria Halacha, where there is any genuine question with regard to how the Halacha has to be uh, resolved. So, let me just talk a little bit, since this is the crucial area, what I call the adjudication between conflicting views, probably the most serious or most applicable area of Sakalokim. Uh, let me talk about some of the canons, the ones that are not quite as obvious, but they're even more fundamental. Obviously, a Psaq of the Beznagodol is final. And that's because the Benishlam established a judiciary with a Bezden Hagodel. And the primary role of the Bezden Hagodel wasn't to sit in individual cases uh, or even as an appellate court where you could bring conflicting opinions of inferior courts. They were there to be the Kiveya, the Halacha, when there was a doubt. And one of the ways in which you got a doubt with Halacha was because different uh, Sanhedrin Tano had been pasquining differently. And you become a Zuck in Mamre only if there's a Psaq of the Beznagodl, because that's what Kiveya is. It doesn't mean that if you had the two Botidin of Rav Gimel issuing conflicting opinions, one was right and one was wrong. Those were Elu Ve'elu. Elu Ve'elu is in the world of transcendental truth, in theoretical halacha. In terms of practical Psaq halacha, the halacha is in accordance with the Psaq of the Bezden Hagodol, and they are Kiveya the Psaq Lederis. Again, to quote Rabbi Hanan, Rabbi Hanan says, We know they didn't disagree with the Mishnah unless they had a price. And later, after Tkufas Amaroim, nobody is Chodlik on the Namayru. Why? Says Rabbi Hanan, because Rabbi Huda didn't make the Mishnah all by himself. It was with all Chachma Yisrael in 
synod assembled, and therefore it had the koyach of a beznagodel, and that goes to his analysis of what the koyach of the beznagodel was, and where it derived its samchus from. He says the same thing about Ravina and Ravashi, uh, and therefore we don't have the authority or the koyach to be choylek and tanoim namaroim or and anything that appears in the Shisha Sidre Mishnah and the accompanying Gemara. Uh, then we have the distinction between Rishonim and Achreinim, and I call that a matter of convention rather than a hard and fast rule. Why not a hard and fast rule? Well, I've got empirical proof. The Groa was choylek and Rishonim, and nobody challenged his authority to do so. This was a convention, but a convention that isn't arbitrary. There was a distinction between the Rishayim Zachreinim, and I'm not a historian, I don't really care why. Uh, it was an accepted convention. I think the historians, the, the historians never really dealt with it, but they, the historical factors are presented by the historians. You're dealing with a period of upheaval, late 15th, early 16th century, political upheaval, economic upheaval, social upheaval, and people no longer have the ability to uh, learn for years and years and to have a Rav Muvak who teaches the Talmud everything that he knows. So the result is that we have a hefzik in the Messiah. There isn't a complete and a full and complete transmission from one generation to the next. And therefore, whatever the Achran says has to be taken with a caveat. He might have said something different had he uh, uh, studied that Mikzoy of Halacha with his Rebbe. And therefore, since you can't be a proficient in one area, you're being proficient in all areas, the Achran in any given area won't be chalik with Arishan because he's afraid he may be missing something somewhere that would have made a difference. So that's the, uh, the, uh, uh, the reason, I think, for the decision between Rishayim and Achreinim, but it's a convention which has also become part of the Messiah's Hayadus. And then we have something else which is a little bit more vague and more nebulous, and that's the doctrine of stare decisis precedent, even if we're talking among Achreinim. The, uh, of course, uh, people will hesitate to disagree with scheme of an earlier generation. And then how do you distinguish between conflicting authorities among earlier scheme? We're not dealing with Rishonim and Achreinim, and we're not dealing with any case in which there's a definitive Sakaloka. So everybody knows the principle of Roiv. But Roiv, as an uh, ironclad rule, applies when you have people who are assembled together and you have Roiv Deus when you are dealing with seeking out precedence and you're not dealing with a roiv and a miut who can confront each other, this principle of roiv doesn't really apply in the strict sense, but it does apply. Only it applies in the sense of a, a weighted precedent. Uh, all animals are equal, but some animals are more equal than others. All achreinim are achreinim, but some achreinim are uh, more equal than other achreinim. So uh, you have to recognize that part of what enters into every 
determination of the Pesachaloche when there is disagreement in earlier authorities and you are not offering an opinion de novo but you are adjudicating between conflicting authorities is how much weight to assign to any given basic. Uh If you have ten hemeopaths who prescribe a macrobiotic diet an oncologist who prescribes chemotherapy, I think that any Bardas knows what he's supposed to do. I'm talking about a Bardas, but uh, that's an art. You have to know the difference between a hemopath and an oncologist. And unfortunately, there are many people out there who don't know the difference. If you have a Rebbe the Eger who says one thing, and some safer, uh, somebody whose name nobody recognizes, says something else, the Rebbe Kivager is going to have more authority than this Shito Shalinoida Lemi. And when you're dealing with recognized place scheme, part of what's going on here is how much weight to assign to any given place in order to make a determination. Now again, uh, the I don't want to belabor the point of Eluv Elu Divrohim Chaim and why it is that there is difference of opinion and the difference of opinion is operative in this world of transcendental truth. And uh, I return to what I said before, that that's only with regard to theoretical halacha. I don't think that there is an Eluv Elu Divrohim Chaim when you are adjudicating between conflicting claims not based upon individual insight. Uh, and let me just explain, I just want to amplify what I said before. Uh, if you're dealing with an honest-to-goodness Pesach, who is a boki in Shas and Pesachim, and he went through a sukhya and he has reached a certain conclusion, he is not bound by Halacha Kedivrei Hamekel Ba'ovel, not Sofik Dreisel Chumra, not Sofik Dreisel Akula. He is supposed to be paskening in accordance with his opinion. And if he is afraid that he is wrong, I have to shrug my shoulders and say, what do you mean that you're wrong? You can't be wrong. By definition, you're right. If you're afraid you're wrong, it's because you have what I call judicial humility. You're afraid you're not a Talmud Shigiyah But maybe you are a Talmud Shigiyah How do you know? Just because you're probably an Edith? The result is, and I'm not going to talk about it, but look at note 5 in the article uh, on Alondis and Psak. I think that this individual may recuse himself if he likes. He can send you to somebody who he thinks is a greater Pesach than he is, a bigger Talmud Chacham, but I don't think he has the right to tell you that Pliny said something different from me and you should listen to, to Pliny, not to me. I may be wrong, I've cited conflicting sources, but I think that that's part and parcel of this analysis of the different modes of Psakaloche and where Elu the Elu applies. If you're dealing with substantive Psak, that's one thing. It's because you've made up your mind because of your intelligence and you are Higili Roy and you have a right to make up your mind. If all of this is simply because you're picking and choosing, it's an entirely different ball game. Uh, and that is what is so scary when you talk about psakaloche out of there. I will give you a very simple parallel. 
if people are out picking mushrooms, I hear tell that there are poisonous varieties of mushrooms. The person, I don't know what you call a mushroom specialist, it must be a technical name for him, but this guy is relying upon his training to be able to tell which are uh, poisonous and which aren't poisonous. He has no problems, he knows, because it's an art, it's a science, it's a little bit of both, and I rely on him when I buy mushrooms in the supermarket. However, I don't take a basket and go looking for mushrooms in the forest because I know that I am not a bulky in Hilchus mushrooms and I'm afraid I might just get a poisonous mushroom. And I know there are kosher mushrooms out there and there are non-kosher mushrooms out there and I'm not going to risk the gamble. If I have two people out there, one says this is poisonous and the other tells me it's not poisonous and I'm not a bookie, you can be sure I am going to run as quickly as my feet will carry me. I marvel not at people who tell me that you can make an Eru in the city of New York or another great metropolis. If the person who is telling me that is Mila Kreisibishasim and in addition he's an expert in Hilchus Erevin and he has been Machria Keneged Ramesha and every other recognized Pesik. Okay, he has a right to do so. I get scared when a Balabos tells me I carry in Manhattan because Rabbi Pliny, not Harav Hagoyim Pliny, that he said that you're, you're, you, you can do this. Uh, wait, are you telling me that if, if these were mushrooms, would you be relying on this person who's not an expert in Hilka's mushrooms? You're telling me that you're more concerned about the physical body than about your soul. For matters of Sakhalocha, you can rely on somebody who is less than totally proficient. It's one, it's one thing for the person to be machria on the basis of his own akra, his own insight, and in Bikius and Shasafaiskin. Quite different to tell me I'm relying upon X when uh, there are other people out there who are equally competent at least, if not more, and tell you you can't rely on X. That's just my little example for all of this. More significantly, it means that you do not have the right to rely upon a das yochid, uh, who is an early achron even, by telling me elu veelu divrei elikim chayim. That's not the way it works. Yes, elu veelu divrei chayim. Now, whoever this person said is absolutely true, but that's nothing to do with psachalocha. Psachalocha is a different universe. And psachalocha is not necessarily elu veelu divrei chayim when you apply the canons of psach and come out with an unequivocal conclusion. Rav Ruderman Zechreinel of Rocha once told someone who uh, came to visit him that if you knew as many chuvas as I do, you would be a goy gomor. What did he mean? This guy was a shagiz, obviously, and the guy had all kinds of coolers. And he had all kinds of coolers because you know, he, he managed to find the ones that he was looking for. And Rav Uderman quite correctly told him, I know a lot more chuvas than you do, and if I were going to pick and select, choose between all of them to get the conclusions that I might want to reach a priori, I'd be a goy. The yadus that you would have afterwards uh, wouldn't uh, be recognizable. 
Uh, I give you another example, and you can go do a little detective work and find it. Uh, there was an exchange uh, a couple of years ago uh, with regard to a psak din of the Boti din Eretz Yisrael. That was subject to legitimate criticism. Maybe the Besnan was right, maybe they weren't right, maybe Elu Elu or not Elu Elu. But the uh, the gentleman who wrote the letter uh, described the Besdin as having the courage to issue the psak that it issued. And I took umbrage at the term courage. If you told me that this was something b'machlekish nuyor, and that some great London came and said that he has re-examined all the sugiyas and he's come up with a kula and he's going to implement the psak halacha lemaisa, that's courage. That means I know who I am, and uh, uh, the, he, he, he is not from the Yirei Heiroa, Leisaguru, Vipneish, and this is the halacha. But when you tell me that he had the courage to pick and choose between Peskim, that is not an act of courage. It doesn't take any courage to do that. It's foolhardy, uh, unless you're applying the canons and the canons tell you that that is the conclusion that must be reached. So, uh, how to adjudicate, uh, that is, how to assess precedence and what weight to assign to a given precedent, that's an art. That's not necessarily a science. I I have no idea how you could uh, quantify or qualify this in scientific categories. So, enough about this uh, adjudication. Yes? Yes. So how do we know? Is it all just based on what the minhag is, or is it what other factors go into that? You're going to be a rov, and you're going to have to make a decision, right? Uh, let me. Uh, if I forget, remind me. I'll come back to that a little bit later. Okay. Uh, let me talk about a second substantive form of psak, and that's uh, what I call uh, the. Uh, identificative psak. Psak in terms of identification. What do I mean by identification? In medicine, there's differential diagnosis. You've got a bunch of symptoms, and you've got to look at each one of them, relate them to the given disease, and then you see uh, how many of the symptoms of one disease, how many symptoms of another. On the basis of all that, you determine what the malady is probably going to be, and you prescribe accordingly. And you also have to know that which symptoms are totally meaningless under the circumstances. In, uh, uh, in, in the area of law, it's called issue spotting. When you get a complex problem, you've got to understand what the issues are. Once you know what the issues are, then you can try to apply the law. In law schools, national law schools, that is, the professors pride themselves on saying, we don't teach law. We teach the students to think like a lawyer. And the typical law school exam is a hypothetical, and you're supposed to analyze them into analyze the hypothetical into the component issues and then you know bring to bear whatever case law you know, and that's uh, that's the least of the problems. The you know the least of the exercise. The first thing is the primary thing is to get the issues right in the first place. Now, this is uh, uh, why it, uh, again, uh, I refer you to the article, but it, some of the Rashi Yeshiva and leading Rabbonim in Lita were notorious 
for giving smicha to people who didn't exactly master your idea before. And their hisnatzlus was that I gave him smicha because he's a lamb, he's a tamil chacham. He knows how to be mechadish, and he knows how to take a sugya and to analyze it properly. He's also Yerushalayim. He won't pass on the Shail unless he's gone through the sugya. And just because he didn't learn Bosaphaholov, as soon as a woman comes to him with a pot and a pan, he'll go and he'll learn Bosaphaholov, and he'll know about Lachis. And he already knows how to apply whatever it is he has to know to apply. It's how to think like a Faisuk. Uh, that's not easy by any means, but that's what this kind of identification is all about. There's a uh, remarkable marshal in Agodis. He bemoans the fact that people are now relying on the Shulchan Aruch. Uh, he's bemoaning it for kind of a different reason. He says they've become lazy. They don't bother going back to analyze the sugyas anymore. They just rely on the Shulchan Aruch. In effect, they don't think. Uh, and what he means there is that they're uh, not really analyzing properly because they don't have to. They think they know it all because they looked it up and it seems to be there. Then with Dam and Mills and the Mills, etc. And uh, therefore, it's incorrect, not simply incorrect, because they're following the Shulchan Aruch uh, blindly, but because they're not being medamed properly to the Shulchan Aruch, they missed crucial differences. No one can, in advance, conceive of every possible Shiloh that might arise. You can't have a Shulchan Aruch that covers every possible contingency. Uh, and I'm saying that because it's a Pizkechuva was also quoted in the article who says, yeah, the Marshal was when he wrote. But now we have a Bishmul, and the Chokos Mechikik, and the Shach, and the Taz. Now you have it all laid out in front of you. Uh, and therefore, uh, you've got all of the uh, possible permutations uh, and uh, applications, and you have less to be worried about. Now, I, uh, I would just a little bit beg to differ. Certainly, and I think that you know, it wasn't true when the Fiskachuva wrote it. There were lots of things that you could miss even if you went through the Shulchan Aruch itself. But certainly when you're dealing with novel problems that weren't anticipated uh, by the Achreinim and weren't anticipated by the Shulchan Aruch or the Nesikalim, you have to know precisely how to go about it. Now, uh, let me uh, give you another example of uh, what I call issue spotting or the identification of what are the component shilas. Uh, the first of those is in the Akdom of the Shemusha Shotairin. Uh, the Shemusha Shotairin is, is significant. Uh, in every one of the Simonim, he gives you another one of these and analyzes it. But one of them that he gives is a kind of a standard shilas. Uh, you have uh, somebody who had uh, a pot full of uh, chicken legs, uh, 55 to be exact, and along comes somebody who has a non-kosher chicken leg and he throws it into the big pot. I won't embarrass you by asking whether the pot is kosher or drape. Uh You're supposed to answer that there's no shishim and it's uh, it's not bottled, you're a bittle. Says the shimushi shotayr, that would be absolutely wrong because there are tzomis and tzomis are not mitzarif l'yisr, they are mitzarif l'heter. They're by from taruvis, 
therefore they enter into the Shishim for the Belia, but they're not pilot. There's uh, not pilot, certainly not the the weight or the uh, area or the uh, uh, the mass of the uh, of the uh, leg of the bone itself, and therefore, if you have 55 or make it 59, uh, you already certainly have shishin. That's the example that he gives. I could give you other examples. There's one that you know, yeshiva it was famous. Uh, the uh, it was supposed to be a story of Reb Chaim and a Polish rov who met at the chasana, and Reb Chaim was busy saying that you can't pasken shaylis unless you're a London, and the Polish rov says, we don't need brisker Torah, we can pasken without brisker Torah, and we're more proficient than the brisker were. So Reb Chaim is supposed to have asked him a very simple shaylis. You have two women, one's Jewish and the other's not Jewish, they're cooking on two, pot, two pots outside, and something spills from the non-kosher pot into the kosher pot, and it's a sophic shishim. Uh, so the uh, the Polisharov replies, it's mean bimina, mean bimina samach is only a drabonon, so it's a sophic drabonon lukula, to which Rukhaim says, gotcha. What do you mean it's a sophic drabonon mean bimina? I said that this was a non-Jewish woman who was cooking. Non-Jewish women don't kosher their meat before they cook it, so there must have been blood in the meat. The blood in the meat is mean bisha'ina minai, and it's a suffix with her chishim, so it's a suffix deraisa. So, okay, she so made a mistake. Turns around for Chaim and says, but you missed it all over again. Don't you know the Faroif Pesachim Dam Shibishlai is a Rabbonon? So we're back again with a Sophic Rabbonon Lakula. So, okay, he got him a second time. Says Rabbi but you're wrong. Don't you realize that the meat wasn't kosher and this isn't Dam Shibishlai, it's Dam Nevela. Dam Shibishlai is only Osamitzad Dam Midrabbonon. But if you're dealing with dam, which is nevela, the bishol isn't going to change the status of the dam. So we've got a sophic derisa. So uh, by this time, the rov is really embarrassed. You see, when you are, you don't even know an explicit tesis of sochim. Tesis says that dam is not bichlal nevela. There's no nevela on dam. It's not bichlal behemen. If it's not bichlal behemen, at least midaraisa. It's a drabonon. So you're back again to a sophic drabonon lukula. That's the version the way I heard it. There is another version which has it that uh, Reb Chaim turns around and says that the animal that she was cooking was a trefer, uh, and not a novella. I don't know how he knew this, but you know he made up hypothetical that she bought the trefer in the slaughterhouse and they discarded it because it had a broken foot. Who knows what? It was a trefer, and therefore we have the dam of a trefer. The dam of a novella doesn't have an Easter dam because it's not Bechlal Behemah. But the dam of a trefer may not be part of the trefer, but it's a Yitzah Min HaTrefer. And it was a Yitzah Min HaTrefer while the animal was still alive. And therefore, it's also Midaraisa, where it's got a lava of trefer. It doesn't have a lava of trefer, but it's at least a, 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 a Yitzah, which, which leads you to a Sophic Daraisa all over again. I will change the hypothetical and let you worry about it. And more likely than not, wasn't this a pot full of pork? 
is pork mean b'minai with other bosar, or is it mean be'ena minai? You go figure out whether uh, different species of animals, whether a t- the meat of a teneya with the meat of a teiro is mean b'minai, or whether it's not mean b'minai. Uh, that's the uh, area of the uh, identification. Uh, as a, one of the uh, you know, issue spotting, determining what the shilas are in the first place. And then there is another area which is substantive, and it's analytic. It's the third of these substantive uh, forms of psak. And sometimes what is necessary is to analyze what is the nature of the halacha. Everybody knows, if you forget to say, uh, 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 you have to say a, I'm sorry, if you uh, didn't daven and you're, you didn't say Shemineshra and uh, you're, you want to make it up, so you make it up in the next Shemineshra double Shemineshra, you didn't daven Minchas, you say two Mairus, you didn't say Mairus, you say two Shachars what if you didn't say Shemineshra at Mairus Mitzoy Shabbos you have to say to Shmanesra Sunday morning. Now the question is, you say Atachnantonu in which of these two Shmanesras? You're supposed to say Atachnantonu in the Myra Shmanesra. The makeup for the Myriv is the second Shmanesra. So with that reason that you say Atachnantonu in the makeup Shmanesra. If you take out the Mishnah Baru, that's what the Mishnah Baru will say. Rib Kiveger and Rib Chaim said quite differently. Reb Chaim said, you have to analyze what's Atachnantonu, what's the din of Atachnantonu. Is Atachnantonu a din in the Mayruv of Mitzvah Shabbos? If it's a din in the Mayruv of Mitzvah Shabbos, then the Mayruv of Mitzvah Shabbos is now your second Shemun Sunday morning. Or is Atachnantonu a din in the first Shemun after Shabbos? If you forgot Mitzvah Shabbos, then your first Shemun is Sunday morning. And you should be saying Atachnantonu in the first of these Shemunah That's Reb Chaim's analysis. If you want to disagree with him, you're going to have to bring proof that it's a halochi in Mayriv, not a halochi in the first Shemunah after, uh, after Shabbos. I'll give you a second that Chacham Seifer. Uh, I'll make it a Chakira. Chacham Seifer doesn't make it a Chakira. You all learned your idea. You all know about Tam Ki'ikir. Tam Ki'ikir is also. I want to know what is Tam Ki'ikir. It comes with Xeris Akosus. Fine, wonderful. After the Xeris Akosus, is Tam Ki'ikir a new Iser? Or does Tam Ki'ikir mean that where you have a Tam, the Iker, which is the source of the Tam, is in Bottle Baroy? In other words, is Tam Ki'ikir a new halacha, Or is Tam Ki'ikir merely a nullification or an exception to the Din of Bittel Baroy? And you'll ask me, Lamai Nafkamina? And I'll quote myself as saying that I'm a halachic positivist, and uh, the logical positivists say the meaning of a proposition is its mode of verification. The meaning of a chikirin halacha is a nafkamina halacha lamaisa. Nafkamina halacha lamaisa is a verminachai to a benoyach, and that's where the Chassam Sefer starts. If a benoyach cooks a pot of meat, and a little bit of Eifer Minachai falls into it, and he's Masalik Eifer Minachai, and all that he has is Tam, is the Tam, is the Tam, Muter 
So the simple answer is, there's no din of Mishra Sanovin, there's no din of Tam Kiker in Sheva Mitzvah Nayach. So as far as the Ben Nayach is concerned, uh, even even uh, without Shishim, it should be Mutter. Says the Chsam Sefer, but by the same token, there's no Achri Rabim Lahatais in Sheva Mitzvah for Benayach, there's no Bittel Baroid. And therefore, since the Tam Iker came from an Iker, that Iker, even though it may have been a mute, extremely small mute, it doesn't, uh, doesn't become bottle. Uh, it doesn't become bottle because you have to understand the principle of Tam Iker. That's a matter of analysis. Uh, I can give you a few others that are more Negea Maisa. Uh, or I shouldn't say Negea Maisa. They are more contemporary. What kind of a chazoki is that in Osbiosbiosnus? Sounds like a cheskiskashras. People don't do those things. And what if I'm dealing with Navari in the first one? He couldn't care less about these things. That means no chazoka then Odomaisabilosabilosnus. Uh Negea, civil marriage, non halachic chupe vikidushin. Vukule, vukule comes along Rav Hankin, uh, other Rav it's not from this generation, before he assumed Chazokin Ois Bilos Bilas Nus is Achesus Kashrus. Rav Hankin claimed that Einod Ois Bilos Bilas Nus isn't Achesus Kashrus, it's Achesus Hanoge. Nobody allows his woman to be Hefker. If he has designated her, even without Kupagidushin, he wants a monogamous relationship. That's what Ein Odom Eisabilosabilosnus means, and that's, uh, that's the Teva of Neodom, uh, wherever you're living in what is supposed to be a monogamous relationship. And Rav Hankin thinks that the, the principle is a totally different kind of a principle. Uh, that is clearly a, uh, a dispute which turns upon the analysis, as I've called it, the substantive analysis, the analytic psak. In order to paskin on the civil marriage or reform marriage, you have to analyze the principle of I was uh, once dreaming about spending the whole hour talking about it. But Tavlametav, Tandum Lametav Armala, the Gemara says, or at least I, the Gemara is quoted as saying, there's no such Gemara. The Gemara is quoted as saying, every woman would prefer even a Mukash Shin to being a spinster, and therefore she'll settle for everything. But everybody knows, go out there, lots of women out there who wouldn't settle for everything. Uh, they're old maids, look at all the women who don't get married. That proves that uh, something has changed. Women behave differently. The point is that they totally misunderstood the Tav Lameta Tandu. And I'm not saying that they misunderstood human psychology. I'll leave that for others to talk about. They didn't know a simple Beis Halevi, and a Beis Halevi that nobody disagrees with. The Gemara is not talking about every woman. The Gemara never said every woman prefers a Mukashrin. The Gemara is talking about being Mavat Kedushay Tous, being Mavatal Kedushin retroactively because she's a Yavoma Lishuk, and this Yavoma has a Yavom out there who is a Mukash Shrin. And now you want to tell me that she wouldn't have gotten married in the first place. 
if she had known that her husband would die without issue and she would end up as the wife of Mokishin, says the Gemara, we can't say that because the Gemara, in order to say that, does not have to say that no woman would do this. There was no tenai, there was no expre- express condition. In order to her to rise to the level of the condition in the first marriage, it has to be an umtene belibayubaleid kolodom. It has to be a nansade. For that, you have to have a world in which no, no woman would marry a mukishin under any circumstances. If there is even the remote possibility that this could happen, there is no anansade. That's the base alevi, and there's nobody who learns the Gemara any differently. So when you're, you're quoting things like that in terms of creating kedushetos, it's just a, you know the fundamental misconception because of faulty analysis when you tell me if she had known what would have happened look what happened uh, there was a breakdown of the marriage and she didn't he wouldn't he wouldn't give me a get had I known that he wouldn't give me a get there would never have been a marriage in the first place or things to that effect and applying the uh, saying that Tavlamitav Tandu has changed. It's not because Tavlamitav Tandu has changed. If you wanted to take this into consideration, you should have made it an explicit condition, and you can't construct an umtana because it is not necessarily the case that no woman would have entered into a marriage under such circumstances. Now, uh, we're running over time. Just let me make one little point. And then I want to talk about one other area that I didn't talk about yet. The point is that Psakaloche is clearly uh, an area that involves a great deal that has to be described as an art rather than as a science. And how do you teach the art? I don't think you can teach a person to be a musician. If you don't have any musical talent, you're never going to be a musician. It doesn't mean that a musician is born a musician. What it does mean is that if he has the aptitude, you can train the musician. And how do you train the musician to play music? You train the musician to play music by having him practice the scales, practice playing music. And that's what Psakaloch is all about. Chinese proverb describing uh, how you apprentice in the jade trade. How do you learn what is jade and what isn't jade? You have the master jadist, I don't know what he is, jeweler, he knows what jade is, and he hands the, uh, the apprentice jade, and gives him one piece, two pieces, three pieces, and they go on day after day, and he keeps on handing him jade, and teaches him how, by osmosis or whatever, literally by feeling the jade, he comes to realize the properties of jade, and the student has trouble telling the difference, until one fine day he's passed one of these pieces of jade and he raises his eyebrows and says, this is not jade. You teach by experience. That's what Zal meant when they said, milimudon. Uh, it's through the process of apprenticeship, whatever it is, that you pick up all of this. Now, let me, as a postscript, talk about what is maybe the most important area of psak. I call it prophylactic psak. And that's avoiding the shaila in the first place. Now, there's some times when you cannot avoid the shaila. Uh, I will give you an example. I once asked a Rosh Hashiva, what happens if you forgot Yalavi Yehoi 
and remember that after Hamachazish Kinosay Lutzia. If you don't know, it's the Machlekes, the Mishnah Bura, and the Orach Hashulchan. So what I was asking is, what's the Hachra? How can I be Machriya? Orach Hashulchan says one thing, and the uh, Mishnah Bura says the other. His answer in Yiddish was, Vosme Veton is good. And in fact, he's telling me, there is no Hachra. It's Elu Veilu. And where there is no Hachra, then it remains Elu Veilu. That's because there's no way to escape the horns of the dilemma. You're the Middlesh Manasseh, and either you go back to Ritzay, or you say, you say Yalavi Yavi, before waiting. You have, you know, there's, there's no choice in the matter. And maybe there are other ways to resolve that. I'm not going to quibble right now and saying that there are other ways to resolve that problem. But that's where you need a way of resolving the problem. There are other situations in which instead of uh, instead of resolving the problem, you avoided the problem. I'll give you cases in which that's been institutionalized in halacha. We blow on Rosh Hashanah, we blow Tashrat, we blow Tarat, and we blow Tashat. Why are we doing all of this? Because we don't know what a true is. And instead of being machria between different shitas, so we blow them all. Or the woman who... You know, uh, the woman's lighting candles, the husband is making kiddush, the Baltikea is making, it's blowing the shaykh the second day, there's a shail on the shachiyon the second day, so what does everybody do? What everybody does is you get a prichodosh, or a new begot, or what have you, in order to avoid the shaila that's like all prophylactic. Instead of passing the shaila, you avoid it. Now, if you don't have a prichodosh or a begot of course there's a halacha. The other halacha is you make the shechiyona, only the hachro is apparently so tenuous that Kali Yisrael opted to avoid it to the extent possible. So if you ask me if there is a mach, I forgot your example, but you gave an example be- between Shabbat uh, and Ramesh with regard to Microwaves. Oh, that's a bad example. Huh? <laughs> and a bad example because I might just have something to say about microwaves. <laughs> but uh, that's because uh, I, I, I fundamentally disagree with Ramesh's definition of Derech Bishol. Uh, again, it's not for now. And Ramesh is Ramesh. And Ramesh is entitled to, he, he has a Rashi, I think. I think Pshat and Rashi is a little bit different from the way he says. But whatever. Yes, you have a, 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 a machlekes. So what is, what is somebody supposed to do? Somebody who has the vaguest idea why a microwave should be bishol, why a microwave shouldn't be bishol, you only know the study on something. And you know, here he heard about rumors out there. Why Ramesha said what Ramesha said. Why Ramesha said what he said. You have the vaguest idea. You just know they said. No, what are you supposed to do? And there's no hachro. I mean, nobody went with machria between them. That's a case of where either you apply the general canons, as I presume you're dealing with could be a derisa, sulfic derisa or chumra, or you avoid it by not using a microwave. The, uh, the easy way is the cop-out. Punt! You don't use a microwave for whatever may be a sophic that has not yet become a issue of halacha that there is a clear achroa. Let me make one point, and that is, you know, the, the, with regard to, you know, when is there a clear achroa and when is not a clear achroa, people seem to think that in Brisk there are all kinds of chumras. 
That is not true. It's a misconception. Don't believe me. Take the Chidusha uh, Reb Chaim on Bovimitzia, who was published a couple of years ago. Read the Hakdomim. It's overstated, probably. Reb Chaim, in effect, was making fun of Hasidim, who had all kinds of humorous. To wit, they didn't drink water, chutz l'sukkah. Now, it's nothing, it's not the sons by any means. They had reasons for not eating, for not drinking chutz l'sukkah. There's no reason who holds that you're not allowed to drink water, chutz l'sukkah. And Reb Chaim purportedly didn't want to have anything to do with the, with the chumr. Why? Because with the chumr, chumr is midas chasidus. Uh, you will, will worry about when you're mechuyif to do it, when you're not mechuyif to do it. Yet in Brisk, they were notorious for not wanting to pass in Shilas. They didn't want to pass in Shilas because Brisk felt it could never be machria in a machlekes rishonim. Their psak was prophylactic. Prophylactic was either to avoid it in the first place or to send them to Ripson Kazeli to Pascha.